Hello, Eddie Green. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Where are you, Eddie? Again, remind uh, me. I am uh, from Orlando, Florida. Ah, Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> How is Maine? How's Maine? Oh, you know, Maine is phenomenal, especially this time of year. Yeah, because I saw you... Uh, you took that photo and uh is that is that where you live or is that just a place nearby that you took that photo by that lake oh oh yeah that's that's uh, I, we have a couple places here a few places up here in maine we're, we're secretly insinuating ourselves into the state of maine having abandoned <laughs> california for the most part um wanting to bring a film production to maine and and we're starting a film literally within days and that's why i'm a little distracted and have been a little overwhelmed and i just uh i just knew if i didn't agree to do this now i, I wouldn't get around to it for a while so forgive oh, my no. my utterly uh completely overwhelmed and distracted state as we uh, attempt to do our first production in in limerick maine which is one of the places that we got um uh, yeah, I got we got the first place six years ago, and we started coming out to the country uh, to this farm uh, for the summer with the kids, and uh, it was so amazing that we we knew we were in hook line and sinker one way or another, and uh, my mom was had me in her forties and lived to the ripe old age of one hundred and two, and then ditched us abandoned us like that out of the blue and uh, uh and it, we were still heartbroken and and uh, and so we got this little bit of inheritance from her and had to do something monumental with it because uh, we couldn't just spend it on bills although we were still living in california we could easily have spent it on bills um and just refused to do that and, and got a place in, in near the farm that we would be able to put our friends up in should they want to come to work on these projects that we were planning on doing at the farm. And this place that we got, because it was built in 1793, is so undeniably charismatic and cinematic. When I started showing friends pictures of it, and little clips uh, immediately people started to get ideas of like movies that could be made there. And it is so undeniably charismatic and cinematic that, that uh, it just, it just had to have stories told in it, not just put people up in order to come and tell stories at the farm. And so our storytelling has begun here in Maine and it will continue as long as I'm alive and, and hopefully the children will, carry it on after I'm gone because it's, it's uh, they're, they're already in love with the state as we are. We moved full-time last a year ago, last July. Um, and we're on the Bay outside of uh, Portland and it's spectacular. Just anywhere along the coast of Maine, everybody knows is, is surreal and so beautiful. And I just feel so blessed to be here and, uh, I loved L.A. I, it gave me so much for so many years, and I miss my friends um, all the time, but I'm, I'm planning on importing them all 
now that we have a place to put them up. All to Maine. Well, well, Maine is, uh, that's where Stephen King is, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. So is this, uh, is this film production any uh, kind of, like, is it horror or what's the genre? You know, I don't think you can do a film in Maine that isn't a little bit creepy. <laughs> uh, it, 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 Why is it, that? Uh, well, it just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's a saturated atmosphere of death and decay. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, it's a deep, deep and holy and spooky, beautiful place. And, and I, I guess it just taps into that. Uh, I, maybe, maybe it's the, the collective unconscious. It's our, our dark continent. You know, um, we, we deny, we, we're so busy looking on the bright side of life. And, and this is this, the deep, deep woods that uh, that exist up here that, that we try and not think about or something. And it's there all the time and it's underneath us and a part of us. And, and um, some of us can't resist it. And, uh, and even when we're telling other stories, I think it, it starts to bleed through no, no pun intended into, into, uh, into a brighter story even. So is it safe to say because of who you are, do you have any, uh, do you have any connection with, uh, with Steven? Like, have you, well, like, do you know him? You know, um, I like to think there's a courtship taking place uh, on some level because I, I, I know years ago I was told by um, a, a rep, I can't remember the agent or a manager, somebody with, kind of, with a great reputation at the time um, that, that uh, Stephen King really liked my work and, um, and I always really liked his work. And I saw it as a kind of inevitability that we would end up working together at some point. He was doing so much. I was doing so much. Uh, it just seemed law abiding that we would uh, coincide and, uh, now it's almost law abiding that we'll like drive past each other on the road. So uh, I'll, I'll flag him down at some point. I know uh, we have a lot of friends in common, so I know um, I'm not worried about it. I know we'll chat and um, I'm, I know he spent many years beating his head against the wall of bringing tax incentives and, and film incentives in general to uh, the state of Maine tax credits, film incentive, these things, uh, I'm, I'm just beginning to really fully get an education about. Um, but he, he obviously knows more about so many things than I do. Um, and I'm eager to sit and scrape the crumbs off the table on many fronts. But uh, I think that where he might have gotten uh, bogged down and, and sort of given up hope, I'm I'm going to bring a new head of steam because we have a new governor here in Maine, and she's so smart and so cool, and is bringing such a, a, a big uh, sort of big new wave of energy and smart people with her 
that uh, I've talked to a lot of the state representatives and everything. They're really excited about bringing tax incentives. And I, I think uh, independent film in particular would be the ideal film, uh, would be the ideal industry for Maine. Um, not huge film productions, but independent film in particular would <clears throat> suit the uh, the gypsy spirit of the state of Maine um, in so many ways, because it, first of all, it won't build a big infrastructure. It won't tear down any buildings. It won't put anything up that anybody sees and, and is annoyed by because there's, there's such a beautiful landscape here. They, they, they just haven't, there's no detritus. There's no commerciality. There's just nature and historic architecture. And that's what I love about it. And that's what I want to film. And that's what I want to celebrate. And, um, and uh, I think that uh, the the community of independent filmmakers that I've worked with over the years and the people that I've met in Maine um, are really going to hit it off. And I'm really excited about being the conduit through which that happens. Incredible. Yeah, because you normally wouldn't think of of Maine as a place to go because it's it's what it's California. It's uh, Georgia is definitely uh one of the big spots now, uh, maybe even Florida, like here in Florida, there's, uh, uh, but you wouldn't think of Maine and, uh, that's pretty cool that, 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 that you're trying to put it on the map in a way. Yeah. Maybe because, you know, my father was an artist and, uh, and not just a a visual artist, but well, I mean, a, a fine artist, but he, he, he brought me up appreciating film and, and art film. And uh, in the 60s, when I was a little boy, uh, he couldn't get in to see Fellini and Truffaut and Bergman and and all the Kurosawa and all the, the great filmmakers that were making movies at that golden age. Uh, at the time, we were in New Jersey in the countryside, and it was just um, we didn't have a lot of dough. And so it, it, it was beyond our means to get into the city to see these films when they came out. But in the seventies, when I was, uh, you know, in high school, it was amazing because PBS public broadcasting started showing them all on channel 13, which on the East coast was our PBS station at late at night, like at midnight on weekends. And it was like, I can remember hearing my mom totter upstairs and, and hearing the TV still on and I was still up and I took that as my cue to once I heard, heard the door to their bedroom shut and still heard a TV on downstairs. I'd sneak downstairs and look down and my father, instead of like, why aren't you in bed? Would like wave me on. Like you got to see this. And I would watch these movies with him and he would educate me on you know, what, what I was looking at in terms of the maison scene, in terms of film composition and storytelling, visual storytelling, as well as great acting, because he had a real deep understanding of, of what that was. And um, so to me, we, we've really gone a long way from, from that, um, it, it, for a while, there were various sort of heydays. I, I feel like I also kind of grew up in a golden era in the 80s and 90s, 
independent filmmaking, looking back on it now because it's now non-existent, um, it, all the funds have been cut off for independent film, um, at least the way they used to flow in back then. Um, five, ten million dollar budgets for independent art films. Uh, that that doesn't happen anymore. It's either you know $125 million for a big budget Marvel movie or, or more and or uh, $150,000 to $250,000 for an independent film and the, 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 the extraordinary disparity between wealth um, seems to be a reflection of, of the, the migration of wealth from the middle class to the upper class in our society as well. I don't know whether you want to get into that stuff, Eddie, but there you go. That's... Well, well, why do you think that is? Because there's, you would think that, that, that for independent film, you would want to definitely keep the, the, the budget as low as possible. Like a perfect example is Blumhouse uh, with, their, with, with their horror films. They usually keep their budgets around 5 to $10 million. Well, yeah, I mean, Blumhouse, I think, has a phenomenal model. Um, I, I was offered a Blumhouse movie while I was the first year I was doing The Walking Dead, and, and I, you know, the schedule didn't work out. It, it could have worked out, but didn't. Um, one of those frustrating things that no one ever talks about as an actor. Um, no, just in case. Well, no, you can't do it. Oh, really? I could have done it. Um, I, I'm dying to work with those guys. Uh, I, I, I was always very sort of snooty about horror when I was younger. Um, and, uh, you, you know, an actor has to be, uh, I believe, as, as aggressive and ambitious as everybody's always encouraged to be. I've, I've always thought you had to be a little careful and scrutinous about what you chose to do because an actor's efficacy can be worn out like in a blink. And um, yeah, you can't get so high and mighty that you think, you know, that obviously work begets work and it's always good to work, but you got to be a little bit cautious about what you agree to do because you can do a big splashy thing, but it, it can put you in the wrong light. And, um, and, and Hara has a way of doing that it had a, a sort of B movie um, association. And I always kind of wanted to be associated with, with higher quality. Even if I was in a smaller role, I chose to do smaller roles in higher quality things or bigger roles in smaller movies that I thought were higher quality. Um, but to try and maintain a quality control at all times. Um, sound like a control freak, but um <laughs> that was just my, my guiding principle because I, because I was also training myself because I ultimately want to be a director when I grow up and I'm still growing up and that's what I want to do here in Maine. And I, I feel like I've learned from every young and old director and everything in between along the way. But, um, the, the horror genre is, is a really interesting one. And the only one that I was offered the opportunity to, 
do that I jumped at was Candyman because it felt like it was a subgenre, which I described at the time as smart art horror. Um, and I felt like it would last. It wouldn't um, degrade with time. It wouldn't look dated or tacky. It would seem elevated because it had, from the start, we knew that obviously the source material was Clive Barker and Bernard Rose, who had just done Paper House, was his first movie, which I thought immediately I went, ah, smart art horror. Finally. Um, because, again, from when I was really young, my father had uh, had introduced me to gothic black and white horror with, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein and the mummy and, and those films, which again, just deeply appreciating the composition of every frame and the, the hunchback with Charles Lawton and all, all those films to me were high art and they weren't B movies. They were, they were a movies. <laughs> You know, it's like Casablanca was shot like a B movie on a B movie lot, but that was an A movie. And because Bogart knew how to quality control, he never did anything that wasn't top notch. And uh, he was a movie star, not a, a supporting actor, but as a as a as a veteran character actor, you you, you control your fate in so much as you can where you can and that's how i have i'm just rambling because it's your podcast and i'm trying to give as much information as i can to your ardent following absolutely no absolutely it's it's, it's just wherever the conversation goes but you talking about um all the older films like you as an actor is that really where you're uh you take a lot of your inspiration from like you're not as focused on present day you kind of look to the past well, you know, I feel like um, we, we were obsessed uh, culturally with this myopic temporal time span. And, and as a species, we go back so, so far and we deprive ourselves of so much depth and so much wisdom and so much understanding about who we are as a, a species and as a, an organism and as a, a part of the, the, the bigger chain of life by just being just, just caught in this like incredibly superficial, um, I don't know this. Yeah. I've always, I think maybe, maybe I've always been, maybe that's what initially attracted me to acting was not uh, about being some trendy pop star, but rather um, to be a portal through which one could transmit human experience and um, understand history and time. And that's, that's why I had very, very little interest in becoming famous. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an anomaly um, maybe I, I worked really hard at what I did. So I was good enough to 
be accomplished enough to be in different mediums. But, uh, you know, I don't really fit into the the pop culture world because I'm not really interested in celebrity and fame. So you wouldn't consider yourself famous, quote unquote? No, 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 I'm not. I mean, I, I, I deliberately sabotaged fame at every step along the way. So I, it would be, I, 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 I have to... Um, accept my disappointments where they come in life uh, because I'm not famous um, and uh, appreciate my anonymity, which I do deeply um, because I listened to my wise, wise, wise mother when she told me to be aware of fame. Interesting. So then it, it, to hear you say that and then to, to, to look back through your, through your filmography, but really to zero in on uh, you taking the role on one of, if not arguably the biggest show on television, uh, The Walking Dead. I mean, it's, it's a show that uh, could easily, especially with the role that you got, easily propel you. Um, and you're no longer on that show, but do you feel as though being on walking dead shot you into some other stratosphere because you do the convention circuit as well. Like, were you doing that prior to the no, show? I, no, I wasn't. And I don't do, I, 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 I did a little bit of it and I was disgusted, if not horrified by it. The convention circuit. Yeah. The, the experiences I had doing it, um, confirmed, uh, everything that I was, I, I mean, I had, I, I had beautiful experiences with the individual, with many individuals. And uh, I was happy to have those experiences because, um, you know, I've, I've led a, a little bit of a, I grew up in a, you know, without, without a lot of money. And I, I grew up like, I, you know, I bailed hay from the time I was 13 until the time I was 18. And I pretty much broke my back doing it. Um, uh, I don't, I, 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 what I don't like about celebrity culture is I, I don't like, I'm, I'm anti-classist. I don't like anybody thinking that they're better than anybody else. And I think that's one of the great things about the American uh, uh, adventure and experiment was that it was a rebellion against the class system. And um, I, I, I don't know, I, I get embarrassed by the adulation and as an artist and especially an artist that whose craft is based on reflecting humanity and people of all stripes in all walks of life it always seemed arch absurd to want to isolate oneself by becoming quote unquote better than everybody so so much better that um that people adulated you and and that you couldn't be among the regular folk because you were in this stratosphere and uh, I don't know everything about it. Um, and I, and I've also, I, I've watched the consequences uh, up close and personal. Some, there are many 
extraordinary exceptions. And you, know, you mentioned The Walking Dead. Andrew Lincoln is one that I cite often as an extraordinary exception to celebrity great fame. Um, he's just an incredible human being. He's maintained his soulfulness and his humanity despite his celebrity, but many do not. And it is a, a drug as strong as morphine or or crack or methamphetamine or any of the other ones. Um, and many cannot handle it. And it turns them into monsters. <laughs> We're talking about horror. It's it's October. I'm getting close to Halloween. It turns people into monsters. <laughs> and, and I never wanted to be a monster. I like to be nice to people. And and I uh, I also knew from hanging out from early on, because I started this early, that I would not necessarily always be nice if people came up and interrupted the middle of my dinner conversation um, with somebody that I was really p passionate about being with, you know, who I hadn't seen in a while and I really wanted to talk to. And, and if, if, if 35 people came up and interrupted that conversation, I wouldn't be happy. And I would be a phony if I pretended that I was happy to see them. And that was not the life I could ever live. And I, I watched people and I admired people that could do that. Um, but I didn't understand how they could do it. And then I, and I totally understood the ones that couldn't do it, but I just, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, man. <laughs> I, I look, I, I have to take your word for it. I mean, because is it safe to say that? So from, from what you just said, there were people will probably never see you at a convention ever again. Oh no no no! I'll I'll do them here and there, but I I, I don't to the the W the Walker Stalker cons I won't do any anymore because I don't I, I don't think the people that run that that particular organization are good people. They don't treat the fans well. I've, I've read too many things about way too many people who got um, uh, cheated and didn't get paid back and. Uh, I don't know. There's just, a, there was a weird, there was a weird vibe on those in general. I, that was too, too strange. And, and, and then I, I, I will admit uh, on an ego level, because I, I, I always, you know, ran away from this whole scene. I thought that maybe, well, first of all, I'm going to be really honest because I don't freaking care anymore. Um, I had to be talked into doing The Walking Dead. It really took a lot of persuasion on the part of the agents that had um, come on board at the time I was I was uh, offered that part. And um, they they worked really hard uh, uh, from a few different angles because I. I, I just went, okay, so tell me why why I should be interested in doing this part because I don't see one redeeming thing about this guy. <laughs> anything. I don't see anything. And I was kind of overplaying shit heels. I got two daughters. And at some point after I'm gone, because I had kids later in life, my mother had me late in life. And so it gave me the idea. I figured if she could wait that long, I thought her could wait even longer. Um, and I did. And so... Um, I'm aware of my mortality and 
the finiteness of life and the impressions I put out there. And I sacrificed my vanity early on because I was sabotaging fame and, and not going after the, the big carrot um, of leading dude and dancing around it and working with as many great directors as I could. And uh, yeah. And then so pretty much you, you develop a bad reputation as it were. Well, he'll, He'll sacrifice his vanity. He can play a bad guy. He can play all shades of bad guy. He can bring nuance and humor and reality and make you hate the character. And all these other things require an extraordinary skill set. I don't mean to blow my own horn, but there's a reason why I was offered a role like that on the show that that show was and then only offered the same amount that they offer to a kid who's never done anything before. If you can believe it on the show on the world's most incredibly successful TV series of all time, that's AMC. And I'm outing them now on your podcast because I don't care if I ever work for them again, and I'd, I'd just assume not. Um, because I think this is endemic of corporate America and greed and uh, the death of a certain kind of spirit that I, I believe in. I believe in the spirit of creativity. And I work really hard. And I feel like hard work should be compensated and I was I was convinced to do the show and I, I, I love the writers and the actors and all the crew but at, at the end of the day I, I have to say I felt really exploited really exploited working on that show because um, why shouldn't I be paid after all the work I've done? A hundred films, 200 TV shows. I, I, I had an incredible track record of, of having chosen only great, great work to do. Uh, I had never compromised myself. Um, I was building steadily and I took that show and they they should have offered me more and my my agents insisted that, oh i should take it because you'll make it up at these conventions and i felt like a whore saying okay i don't do conventions i get paid for what i do which is to act and i i think that they were part of this whole scam that is just like in politics now it's just like dishonesty um why the writers went on strike and and fire or not well they went on strike before but they they recently fired all their agents because they were a, a part of this packaging deal that went down because they were no longer agents were no longer negotiating for their clients to get the the deals that they ought to get for the work that they do and the skill set and the what they brought to the table um but that the agents were secretly looking not to get the commission for the actor's work but to get 
maybe a piece of the action, a part of the packaging deal, because they had some backroom deal with the corporate, you know, mucky mucks. And it's just so dirty. That's not how you do it. That's not how it's done. Don't be an agent. Then go be a corporate mucky muck. But don't pretend to be representing your clients and talk them into taking a deal and then tell them, oh, you're going to make it up in a convention. You can make six figures and whore yourself out and make money off of these people that like, oh my God, there's so many people that go to these conventions that um, they, they, you can see that there's handicapped people. There's people that are sick, that this is the small, this is their one big dream because they, they've been addicted to this show because it's given them hope because the writers and the actors do such a great job because they pour their heart and soul into the show that people become a little addicted to it. And they feel, especially in this post-apocalyptic world, that this gives them some hope that um, they go there because they just want to touch a piece of it. And in touching a piece of it, they, you know, this is crazy that I'm talking about this, but I obviously I felt really pent up about this and I'm, I'm, I just don't care anymore because they can't sue me for talking about this stuff, but nobody talks about this stuff. And it, it's, it's, it's a, I don't know. I just feel like when I started to discover that there were a lot of people who barely get by, who go to these conventions that were getting cheated out of money. And by the, this organization that is profiting off of, it just all started to feel so shady and sketchy and wrong and this isn't how business should be going down and actors shouldn't be tempted and lured into I'm going to make up for what I'm not making in my salary by showing up at these conventions because they've created a following and at the same time I have to say you know Twitter uh, I, I've, I, was, I was lured into the Twitterverse because a certain show said, well, you can't do this. You can't become the villain on, on the medalist unless you're willing to like live tweet when you reveal that you're red, John. And that was not, not entirely the deal, but that was sort of like put out there. Um, you're going to have to do this. Oh, okay. I went, I was dragged kicking and screaming into social media and then I thought, well, if you're going to do it, well, at least. And so I did it like I wanted to be the anti-celebrity. And I sort of went out into the world and, 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 you, and, you, and, you, and, and immediately you get like, I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird world out there, man. How do you feel about it, Eddie? You talk to me. Well, look, first of all, Xander, I, I really do appreciate Because, look, I mean, your honesty is 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 admirable i mean clearly like you said it's been pent up and and you're talking to someone who i've i've been to those i've been to walker stalker cons i've 
my first ever convention was the first ever Walker Soccer Con in Atlanta in 2013. And it is weird. It, it, it's funny how you don't think of it in that way. Like up until right now, I, I just thought the world of those things. But you start to kind of peel it back and just hearing and, and I mean, you're clearly speaking with honesty. It's 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 something well, that well oh, and all, yeah no I mean I, and I really want to say right away that like I really it's a beautiful thing when people can connect to people that they look up to and 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 have a direct contact with them and 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 it, it's a jubilant and and life affirming thing and I don't want to take anything away from anybody that feels anything but a positive experience about that. I just, I just know that some people have been swindled and I've, I, I get a lot of information about that online. And, and then, you know, my experience was, you know, and this is what I wanted to kind of come clean about because I played, because it took a skill set to play a character that was so loathed. I didn't get paid in the upfront. And then I went to these things and, it didn't matter that I'd done all these incredible movies <laughs> for the last 40 years. Nobody could care less. And I, I sort of thought, well, if I'm going to do a convention, they're going to, you know, Terminator 2, 24, a few of these cult things that I'd done along the way would pay off because I'm finally like going to step out into that world. But they're just so driven just by the, cult of the walking dead they just saw me as that douchebag that douchebag and so all the hard work it took to create a believable douchebag and a backstory on him and someone that you could believe was powerful enough on one hand to run a community and yet cowardly I did all the, I broke all the rules that you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to play a coward if you really care about your career. You know, only guys that don't really, you know, there's a lot of like, and now you realize why that Bible exists that, you know, only if you're willing to throw your career away, do you do a part like this? Um, because people will worship the good guy. They'll worship the, the woman that is, you know, the avenging Annie that, that has been beaten down and then brought back and, and they'll worship the big bad guy, but they will hate the coward with a kind of contempt that you cannot even calculate. And, um, it's, 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 uh, it's a wild thing to have witnessed especially if it's in combination with, and this is why I argued like, why would I do this part? Like, tell me why I would do it. They're not, this is a payday, right? We'll do this for a payday. Oh, really? They're not. Oh, this is what they're, they're going to pay me a fourth of what I get paid. This is the, the most successful show on TV. Explain to me now, why am I doing this? Wait, wait, when did my stock go down? Why? Oh, oh, Okay. But you're, you're basically, you're saying I have to do this because I'd be crazy not to. 
And when you feel a certain pressure, like, okay, this is one of those things where the manager and the agent and everybody say, no, you got to do this. It was a career killer. I continue to work because I've always worked. But doing this character on this show destroyed my career. And it, 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 it humiliated me beyond any reckoning because I couldn't get them to even like on 24. Yeah. I played the, the prick uh, sometimes at, at a point where I would, I would <clears throat> go like exactly why am I being such a douchebag just for the sake of being a douchebag. And, but, and, and I can remember Joel Cernow, who I love to this day that you would say, well, the one thing we have a, we have a, a rule we cannot break. We cannot bore. We may not bore the audience. Okay. Okay. All right. I get it. I get it. And then he rewarded me in the second year because he knew I never wanted to sign on to become a series regular because I would always rather remain obscure than become uh, known and known in some negative way, in some ordinary way. So he, he came up with this great, concept to have me inhale airborne plutonium so that I would die within 24 hours, which is a season, um, and, and have me redeem myself and make up for a life misspent. And that's excellent. I, I will do that show. Thank you. And I met my wife and, and we have two children as a result of that. So I'm nothing but a happy and grateful man as a result of, of that TV series. But The Walking Dead left me with a really bad taste in my mouth because they didn't pay me. They didn't um, give me a proper ending to the storyline. They really just, they, they didn't let me know until two weeks before, after I turned down two other shows um, that had been offered to me that I could have been a series regular. And, and at this point I decided to leave Los Angeles because I was done. I was done. That's how extreme this is that they let me know two weeks before, obviously they knew well in advance of that, that they were killing me off. And the, it was finally the year that I was going to make an approximation of my wage I had broken even, Eddie. What it costs to pay your manager, your agent, and your lawyer, which is what the machine requires at this point, 10%, 10%, 5%, and to pay the, the, the government and the state taxes, which we all know is about 40 percent this tax rate at that time so you're talking about taking away 75 percent basically yeah 40 to 50 pretty much off the top 25 percent and then you got to pay for housing down there and you got to pay in georgia and you, you've got a family so you want to you want to go back and see them? Well, they didn't even give you tickets to go back and see your family. So you got to pay for your own flight back and forth, and you got to get a car down there. 
you start to add it up and you know what at the end of the day you're working on the top show on television you're playing a series regular and you're breaking even how does that feel and then you go to these conventions and nobody wants to come over and get your autograph because you're the douchebag. Now I feel like the douchebag. Yeah, I'm pissed off. And that was always the, the happy-go-lucky, happy flying under the radar. They, they, they finally kind of they pulled me into like, you're going to go and be a celebrity and you're going to sign autographs and be a big shot. And I never felt worse in my life. I never felt more degraded. I, I felt like I'd sold my soul. I felt like a whore. And then I, but I did feel also like those human beings. And I think anybody that ever came over to my booth will attest to the fact that I gave them more than anybody else did because I had more time. Um, and because I was also making up for never having really been very good at signing. Um, I never was I would get like fan mail and I never wrote back because I'm an artist. I'm a painter and a sculptor and I just would get things disorganized. I forget which picture went with what envelope. And I felt so guilty about that, that this was my way to make up for a lifetime of not being very good at this stuff. And I was never very sort of like, you know, whatever with fame. But when I would see those people come up and they would wait in the line of any length, even if it was the shortest line in the freaking convention and I was the cheapest autograph you could get, I was so touched and so moved by them wanting to meet me that I would just tell them stories and, and, um, and give them as much, you know, make them laugh and uh, make them feel seen and heard and felt, uh, as much as I possibly could, because it felt like connecting to that audience that I'd never had a chance to really meet before. And that, that felt really beautiful. I want to put that out there too. That's, but look, Xander, you got to know, cause oh man, just hearing this, it's, you're breaking my heart, man. You're breaking my heart. It's just, I like, like I'm, I know you're an actor, but I know you're not acting right now. And, and you, you got to know that, uh, you know, I was a fan of that show. I don't watch it anymore. I honestly think that it's kind of uh, took a dip in quality. Um, but you, you, you got to know that you have fans out there. I mean, that's why I reached out to you because before The Walking Dead, and I didn't even know this connection, before The Walking Dead, my, one of my favorite things that you've ever done, you mentioned it, is Terminator 2. This podcast originally was dedicated to Terminator. I've had Michael Bean on, I've had William Wisher, I've had uh, so many people from that, Peter Kent. Um, and uh, it, it, was, it, it was so weird to make that connection when I finally realized that the guy that played Todd in Terminator 2 was Gregory on The Walking Dead. It was such a cool connection for me. And, and it's a shame I never got to actually meet you at one of these conventions because it seems like every Walker stalker con I went to, you weren't there. Um, yeah. Because they didn't even invite me. You know, that's the thing that kind of killed me. It's like, they didn't have enough class to invite the series regulars. They would invite people that had like some gag. They'd invite people that weren't regulars on the show that uh, I don't know. They, 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 they didn't have any elegance about the way they dealt with 
it. And then I, I, I recently went with a, a new convention person because I do, I, I was, I have to say, I was really kind of moved by the people that I did meet enough to where like, I kind of felt like this is a nice way to connect to the audience, but not through the Walker Stalker experience because there's, there's just, there's a, the way they ran the organization is not the way it should be run. And I, I, I got to say, I'm left with the WSC and AMC left me with a really bad taste in my mouth, but I've, I've, and, and I'm a guy that's been kicking around for 40 years and I got nothing but a good taste in my mouth about the way I was treated and the way, um, the experiences I've had in the business. I, I, I see it as a kind of weird, greedy uh, direction that the country's going in of late that I don't like. And so that's why, that's why I'm being so straightforward and honest about it because it's, uh, it's an unhealthy direction. And without getting too political about it, I, I feel like I got to stand up and say, I don't believe in bad, bad behavior. And it, it, it's very important too, because, you know, I think that a lot of people, myself included, you know, put a, you know, putting uh, the politics aside, but just, just looking at the film industry in, in, in general, you, you know, that there is, yeah, shady stuff going on. You know, that there's greed and, and that, and that's been around since, money was invented but you you don't really assume that like you assume all actors have the high life you like you assume that that's something that you want to strive to be like i want to strive to be an actor like not really but that's like the mentality it's like that's the stuff you want to do you know but it's important that you're saying this stuff because people need to know that people need to to hear it and and really start to do their research myself included i mean hearing this right now because i had no idea where this conversation was going to go i just knew i wanted to get you on because i'm a fan of yours and i know that you are someone that can talk and and and, and provide real interesting stories but i am so happy that it went this way because i feel like i need to <laughs> i need to really start sharing this stuff and and, and making my audience at least aware about it so if nothing else thank you for being as honest as you've been it's it's really admirable it really is yeah and you know there's a lot of people that like you know the, 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 there's a kind of obviously people want to jump on people and and make people into villains and and uh i don't want to do that with this with the walker stalker con people because i've had it in me Douchebag, you know, you become a target. People want to make you into that douchebag. And, and if I'm a whiner, I'm a whiner. I'm, I'm a killjoy because I'm, you know, I didn't get. Yeah, it, it, it was it was hard. Uh, obviously, it was it was hard for me because um, the sophisticated. <laughs> I like to believe the sophisticated viewers got the sense of humor. The, the, the showrunner, Scott Gemple, who also took a lot of shit and a lot of heat because he did things that weren't always popular, um, kept pleading with me um, to, to uh, 
hang in there. Um, because he really wanted me to bring an element to the show. And this, he, he's the one that talked me into doing the show. He said, look, here's the thing. I used to be a comedy writer. I've loved the comedy that you've brought to every heavy that you've ever played, every, every role you've ever played. I've, I've always seen the humor in there. And it's so nuanced. And it, it always, to me, made me believe your characters. There was humor. However dark it was, however thrown away it was, however ironic, whatever it was, it just grounded the thing and made it real for me. And I, I want you to bring that to the show. This is something that I'm, I'm, I want to write for you. And, and he, he told me the whole pitch about like secretly, I, I know all these great art films you've done, but, um, I, I want to put Trevor from, you know, Grand Theft Auto together with George Mason from 24. That's, that's the pop culture junkie in me. I, I want to see that. And I want, I want to write these scenes for, for you guys. And, and you're going to love this guy. I know it. And, and he was right. Again, Stephen Ogg and I came from two totally different backgrounds, two totally different worlds. But the minute we met, we fucking hit it off and we had a, ball we had a ball and we were in the moment together in every scene we ever did together and that was that was to me that made the whole experience worthwhile and and you know and also just you know directors like mike and greg and 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 Andy Lincoln, watching him be number one on the call sheet and behave the way he did at in season six, seven, eight, nine, blew my mind. I, I just thought that's that's a bell ringer. That's that's the way a human being should be. And so I I have nothing but a good a good feeling about the experiences I had on set working with people. But um, I got to call out. The, the the behind the scenes of of, uh, of corporate greed and convention corruption because it's a it's a it's a it's a dark underbelly and, and I know that they're hurting people out there so that's why I I, I, I groused about that but I, I still I, hey you're in in Florida that's not too far from from Louisiana, I'm going to be, uh, I just found out I'm supposed to do a, a, a Terminator 2 convention in uh, January in New Orleans. Do you know about that one? Uh, I did not know about that one. Because I'm going to be like trying to hit up my friends, Robert Patrick and Jeanette Goldstein to, to meet me there. And there's a bunch of other people I think are going to be doing it. It should be a lot of fun. Huh? New Orleans, right after New Year's. Who? Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But now you said that you're you're supposed to do that. So, is that something that they they contacted you or someone that? Yeah. You, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm going to do a a, a, a Comic Con in Germany in December. Like, just I want to go to places. I'm going to go to places that I want to go. And with organizations that I know are treating the people well and, 
and I'm going to go and hang out with people that I know that I'll enjoy that I haven't seen in a while and stuff like that. And, and then I know I'll be in such a good mood that I'll give the fans that come nothing but a hundred percent. That's so cool. I'm, that's, that's, that's good to hear because I mean, uh, speaking about uh, just kind of quickly off topic here, Robert Patrick, uh, I have met him at the, he was at spooky empire, which is like a horror thing uh, here in Orlando. Um, Edward Furlong, I've met him. Um, and, and, and that's another thing that it was, that that's kind of been surprising to me. It's, it's especially this last one that they just did. Um, where was it? It was San Fernando Valley. Uh, they got like, they got everybody together. They got Arnold, they got uh, Jeanette, they got Kristana Loken from Terminator three. I was like, where's Xander? Like, why is Xander not here? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, this is that's that's also my karma because I, I did actively sabotage fame, and so I have to know that, that you get what you ask for, you know. Because my mother did send me out when I when I went from from the East Coast to the West Coast, she said, and with regard to fame, all I will say is you be careful what you ask for because you may just get what you want, and then what, and then what. And, and that, so that's what I went out there with. And so that was, that was always operating within me. And so maybe when I, when I hear about stuff like that, maybe I was so guarded that I never was open to pursuing the opportunities that were out there. And, and I, I blocked uh, a lot of that stuff out, but uh, you know, I'm at, at this age, at this stage, I'll, I'll try to be a little bit more open and, and uh, not so guarded because, yeah, I should have known about that. I, that's probably that's probably my fault, not theirs. Interesting, um, but that but but that's weird that you got an invite to this one in New Orleans, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, that's because I finally went with a con rep. Oh, uh, okay, okay, and they kind of put your name out there. Yeah, saying like like basically saying Xander is interested and 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 he'll do this. Yeah, and now now that I'm doing it, I'm gonna like get a hold of you know Robert Patrick and I were friends before Terminator Two, and we've continued to be friends ever since. And uh, so I'm gonna like go, well, dude, you're gonna do this, and like, why didn't you tell tell me about that San Fernando <laughs> thing? Yeah, that was a big one. That was because like that was like. That was touted because obviously the new one's coming out this year, and that was touted as like the Terminator reunion. Like, really? Oh well, I'm gonna just like, and Jeanette and I've stayed in really close contact. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, hey, oh, oh, and by the way, oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you for alerting me. You know, uh, Jeanette and I had have, in the past couple of years uh, had a really funny. Um, reunion because of uh, a guy that I've gotten to be really good friends with named Jean Lejoie, which is spelled in a very funny way because he's French Canadian um, and is uh, a, a, the founding member, if not the sole member of the band Wolfie's Just Fine. And I think you're enough of a fan to get that Yes, I love it. You yes, it? I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> now, you have got to, 
and and I, if you have any intro music for your podcasts, you've got to track down Wolfie's Just Fine by, uh, that's the name of the band, and the song is Todd and Janelle, our characters okay. from Terminator 2. Uh-huh. He he created, he and his brother watched the movie, I think he told me 50 times when they were growing up, um, and created the backstory for the characters. And um, it's, I think, a brilliant, a brilliant song. And deep and, and, and dark as the, as the film itself. And um, satisfying to, to fans of the film because it, it gives them the texture and the, and the backstory that they always, that he felt he always longed for when watching the, the movie, like, who are those people? What else is going on in there? And so it's uh, Todd and Janelle by Wolfie's Just Fine. And um, uh, Jeanette and I have been communicating about that. And I actually did another, uh, John Lejoie and I became friends. We were living in the same neighborhood before we left L.A. And uh, he got me to do his his most recent, I think, or one of his most recent rock videos for his his most recent uh, record, which was really, really a cool experience out in Joshua Tree. Um, Break My Back was the name of that one. Check that out, too. Man, you just, you sound, it, you really, it's weird because when when you watch somebody the way that i've watched your your performances you you kind of make up what you think that person is going to be if you ever get the opportunity to talk to them so prior to doing this i kind of had a preconceived notion of okay that this is what i think xander is going to be like and you in what in because we've been talking for an hour now. In one hour, you have, you, you like, you really have displayed so much humility, and 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 you've talked so brutally honest. And I gotta say, like, you've you've changed the way that I thought you were going to be for the better. Like, I thought I like I honestly thought it was going to be I would have to ask a question, you would maybe talk for maybe two seconds. And then I'd have to ask another question, but it, it's the total opposite. You're so easy to talk to. This is crazy. Well, I didn't really give you enough chance to talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, 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 it really is weird how it's how, like how human and, and, and the human mind works. It's because you say that you've avoided fame and, and, and you don't consider yourself famous, but you know, when I reached out to you and, and got a reply back from you. I was, I was through the roof. I was like, Oh my God. Like, but that just goes to show what kind of a person you are. The fact that you did reply <laughs> back to me, that's so cool. And that's, uh, you know, I don't want to just constantly pat you on the back here because that people don't want to hear that all the time, but I got to just be a hundred percent real with you. It's just, I like after we hang up here, whenever that is, I, I do want to stay in contact with you and, 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 just put out there whatever it is that you believe in because you've actually made me a believer and and this stuff that we talked about today 
I swear is so important and more people need to know about it. And, uh, I don't want to end on a negative note. I mean, it's, it's great that we talked about all that stuff and, and, uh, but I, but I do want to know where is, where is the next thing for Xander Berkeley? Where is, cause I know you're a painter. I know you're a sculptor. I know you do a bunch of stuff and you're doing uh, your project up there in Maine. So that's something that you're clearly very focused on, but what's the next 10 years for Xander? Well, I mean, Sarah and I are starting a movie in, in a few days where I, I play a painter and a sculptor. We both, <laughs> we, 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 and, and this guy, and, and this, this building that we got that, the one I was telling you with my mom's little school teacher's inheritance uh -huh. um, that was this building that was built in 1793 and is such a magical little space and has this barn attached to it and um, sort of turning that into the studio and the the L, the, the, which is what they call the connective tissue between the main house and the barn um, into the kind of gallery space. And it's this couple that was like an art couple that lived in New York and, and then went out to the country and left, got off the treadmill, kind of like us, but this is not autobiographical. Um, and I swear, and mark my word, this is not autobiographical because it's a little creepy and a little horror it creeps into this thing. Like I told you in Maine, you can't escape it. Um, and especially because the, the filmmaker friend of ours wants to do a kind of Bergman Tarkovsky film and, 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 and you can't do those in this day and age without being like, torn apart by the critics. And the, and the audiences. So I, I told him, I think it would be good to mix that with a little bit of horror and a little bit of suspense. And I don't want to tell too much more about it, but uh, my wife dies right at the beginning and I try to bring her back as an art, as a, a work of art. That's all I will say. Interesting. I, and I love how your voice is getting low. <laughs> I don't want her over here me telling the story because I don't know what, what liberty I am to divulge these particular plot points. But anyway, I, it's it's going to be kind of amazing. And all this work that I've been doing for all these years that I've kept sort of buried artwork, I'm bringing it all out and I'm putting it all up in this space, in this gothic environment. And it's it just feels so incredibly inspiring to unearth this stuff that we moved from California and and I I won't even get into that whole story because I want to wrap this thing up in an hour uh, but I definitely want to end on a high note that this is I took on this project even though it didn't have the budget it didn't have the time to prepare and everything else that I would have liked I, I said yes to this guy so that within the first year we could have our first production in one of the properties that we've developed here to make films. And that's what we want to do. And because I don't want to go away from my kids anymore. I just want to make movies and bring my friends here to this beautiful, magical part of the world and be around my kids while they're growing up and have them be a part of this creativity. And sort of, we're, we're kind of making it, uh, we realize we can't for our, 
grown-up friends and their creative offspring of all ages. And uh, for them to all, everybody to participate in the making of content. And they'll all come clamoring for it when they see who we have involved. And is this going to be, uh, like, are you aiming for, a, like, a theatrical release? or? Oh, this, yeah, this will get a theatrical release down the line, but um, on whatever level. But uh, in general, the stuff that we're, we're going to be making here, uh, there's, there's two anthology series that I'm really excited about developing on the property and, and that I'm talking to a lot of people about that. And, um, and yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of great, great stuff that we're uh, in the middle of here and thrilled about. So I could not be happier about having stepped off the treadmill. I, I dwelled on a little bit of negativity only to uh, to say that which I I didn't feel free to say as long as I was on the treadmill. But having stepped off, I feel it's 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 good to say it. And uh, and you know um, I I uh, I am here to say it's okay to to be an independent artist and to to know that. Uh, if you work hard, you'll, you'll get rewarded down the line. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, I leave this up to you. I know that, uh, that uh, it's the same time zone where we are. So it's 1230. Um, and uh, I'm sure you have to get, get, get going, maybe finish a draft of the screenplay. If you are writing it, are you writing it? I've been a ghostwriter for many, many years. An uncredited ghostwriter. So um, I'll be continued to ghostwrite a bit, but our kids don't have to go to school. They've got this weird, like, they don't go to school tomorrow or Monday. They've got this long weekend, and we sort of start. We, we're, we have the whole weekend to get further prepared, and uh, the director arrives on Monday. So we're, we're cool. We're good. It's going to be a groovy weekend. Good, good. And, 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 and what is it like up there just in terms of weather? Like, it is, is it so exquisite. Oh my God, I can't even tell you. I jump out of my skin every minute of every day. I, I, I do. It's just, it's the, the colors. I, I spent, I grew up on the East Coast, sort of a New Englander. And then I went out to California and for 40 years, I would jump out of my skin in October, in September, October, and go, how, how, how why is it so hot? Why aren't there leaves turning and like, oh. And the romance of autumn, I, I missed it so much. And I'm so happy to be back in it and to, to be going to my daughter's like cross country races or soccer games in the middle of this ex just incredible sp splendor of color and crisp air is just, I feel so happy, period. I am jealous. I am jealous. It is. Uh, it definitely does not feel that way down here in Orlando. I know, I know. but I, you know, I went through when I was your. I went through so many years of suffering through heat and nastiness. So sometimes, but just keep your keep the the ship sight in the distance. And <laughs> down the line, I didn't get married and have kids until I was much older. So down the line, get them someplace great for autumn when they're kids. That's my yeah. goal. Yeah. I mean, you said the romance of autumn, and that's uh -huh. really what it is. That's that. That's so what it is. 
that's so what it is. Yeah, we would read them stories like in L.A. and, and like they would talk about the seasons. You know, there are these things. That, they're really true. It's not they're not just making this up. There is winter and fall. Anyway, so anyway, we'll just keep going. And someday we'll get you to those things. And we did. We got them. We got them off the treadmill into seasons. And they're really happy about it. And so are we. <laughs> uh, well, you do sound, you sound great. And uh, um, I'm going to let you go because I know that uh, you got to go straight and, 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 and you got to prepare for this. And uh, Yeah, but... it, it was great talking to you, man. I, I don't know. I needed this little break from it all. And I'm sorry I, I didn't get with you when I was supposed to, but uh this is when i got with you and I, I gave you a lot i don't know whether you edit these things or you put them out live but hello to your audience if you put it out live and i hope i didn't bore anybody oh no i don't uh uh very rarely do i edit anything i usually just let it play and 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 whatever the audience gets from it the audience gets from it and um you know it, it, i i this is up to you. This is totally up to you. I just feel that it is so important what we have talked about today that, I mean, obviously I'm going to be sharing it around, but um, if you'd want to share this around as well, that I, I just think that it would be, but if not, because you were speaking so candidly, I totally understand that. Um, I just think that it's important and uh, to get it well, out there. Well, is, yeah, you know, it's like, it's a funny thing for me. I'll let you put it around, but, if I put it around, it sounds like sour grapes from my angle. I'm willing to be honest about it. But at the same time, I can't really promote it because it does sound like I'm I'm being a big whiny bitch about it all. And I don't mean to sound like that because I know some people were able to profit a great deal from it. And I don't mean to take anything away from them. God bless them. But it was weird for me to give so much and to to feel like um, at this stage of my career, I should have been rewarded in the front. I shouldn't have been forced to go to conventions and I shouldn't have been treated poorly at conventions by the management. And then I shouldn't have been penalized because I play the douchebag well. And, and at the end of the day, they don't want the douchebags autograph. Uh, they want the heroes or the big bads or the, these other, these are the iconic things. And, and nobody told me that. And I didn't get that. So it was, a, it was, I was, it was falsely represented to me when I was talked into, this is the deal. And I, you know, uh, they, maybe they didn't know. So maybe it's all a new thing, but it's a weird shady thing. And at the end of the day, it's not how deals should go down because it's a little nebulous and I got a, I, I, I got a family to support and I shouldn't be having to be making squirrely deals on the side when there's a hugely successful show. And I've had a hugely successful career up to this point and I'm bringing a skill set and nailing it for them. You know, they should, they should be paying me up front. And it feels a little bit like, I don't know, some famous person who's in power right now who, who, who didn't pay his, who, who didn't pay his taxes or 
didn't pay the, the people that he hired to work for him. And sort of like, I don't know, cheap tight wads that are really, really wealthy piss me off. Oh, yeah. But, but, but I don't think you came off as whiny. or I, I think that you have a valuable story to tell. And I don't know if you've said this anywhere else, but if it's the first time here, then if anything else, I'm just, I'm just thankful that you did. <laughs> Seriously, very much. And, and, and not because I'm going to like try to, you know, market this and be like, oh my God, you, you just wait till you hear. I just think that it is incredibly valuable what you're speaking of and the experience that you went through. I don't think that's talked about enough. All you hear is the positivity. And that's great. Positive, like positivity is great in life, but life is also very, they're like, there's a lot of negativity in life and talking about the negativity changes things. And that's that's what you're doing. I think I gave a pretty honest uh, thing of the whole thing in in there. And I'm, and and I'm, I'm not afraid to stand up to it because I'm doing my own thing now and I'm off the treadmill, but it kind of pushed me off the treadmill. I got to say, it, it, gave, it, it gave me a, a bitter enough. If this is the business now, I'm done. Because they've been cheaping us down for so long. They didn't value guys like me who I, 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 somebody's making a reel for me. An editor wanted to make a reel because I've been toe to toe with something like 15, 20 different Academy Award winning, you know, like 15 to 20 different actors that have gotten Oscars. And they put me in scenes toe-to-toe with them for some reason over the years in big movies. And, you know, you got to be pretty good for them to keep doing that, right? Um, and so uh, the, the absurdity of, like, to take an actor of that caliber and then go, yeah, that's, that's of no value, that's the same as somebody who's never done anything before. Uh, yeah. Don't pay him any more than you would somebody who's just starting out. It took me years to build to the point where I could get to that. And, and then you, you do with any profession, in, in any career, to, to just to beat the odds to keep working year after year in this business, you've got to be pretty fucking good. You know, that's a skill set in and of itself to keep being asked back to the party year after year for 40 years. What does that take in both pop culture blockbusters and in independent critically acclaimed art films? And, and to that, for that not to be given enough value to be shown some respect by somebody, by a corporation that is made out of money that is just sucking money in from the public and not go, oh, yeah, let's make an exception. Let's show him some respect. But, well, no, we'll pay him the same starting wage that we pay everybody. That's what we do. If the agents have a back-end deal, <laughs> if they can con their clients into it, and it's dirty business. And that's, that's why the writers all fired their agents en masse. A few months ago when I was in L.A., it was like, yay, hello, good for you. Because they're not looking out for you. I don't know if you know about that. It was across the boards. 
all the writers fired all their agents because all the agents of any power were in bed with all the studios and all the networks because they're getting back-end deals, participation in the profits, instead of benefiting from making the 10% off of negotiating a good deal for their client. So they had no incentive to make a good deal for their client because they're in bed with the boys in the back room. And I don't know if the general public knows or cares about any of that, but it's just, it's like dirty politics. And well, the, well, the idea of an agent is kind of strange. <laughs> if you really think about it, you like start to break it down. It's what their, their job is to get you a job essentially. Right. Yeah. And, and it's weird that like if, okay, so you think of it. Okay. So put aside that you're an actor the average person doesn't have someone trying to get them a job. That person just normally goes to the place that they're trying to get a job. Now, obviously it's, 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 it's different if uh, you're in Maine and the job is in uh, California. Like I totally understand that, but for me and now, especially hearing the way you've uh, been talking about it, it's, it just, the idea of an agent does seem very funky to me it's like <laughs> like i don't know well, like, it is that's why so many you know for, for it's just like across the board like agents are this cipher this this they're, 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 i mean there's obviously a lot of exceptions to it but they're they're kind of you know what what what, what are the they're a parasite they live off of actors they live off of talent. That kills me. That kills me. Cause I, cause I totally know, like, and I understand, uh, like, I'm not you, but I, I, they're I, a parasitic I, species. They don't do anything creative. They suck off of the creative. Yeah. And they make deals. <laughs> yes. And then, the, yeah. And then, and they feel terribly important about themselves. And they, you know, they think they, they're the, they think they're the masters of the universe and they think they're the guardians of the business and they're closing all the deals and they, and, and the fucking hideous uh, kind of between the, the, you know, the, 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 the machismo obvious, like, sexual predators that the me too movement was about but in addition to that the gay mafia that's a whole other podcast um, <laughs> you know the, the way they throw their weight around and and control things because they've got that power and because all these little desperate wannabes want to be famous want to be rich they come out to hollywood they want to be stars and they're willing to throw their souls into the inferno uh, to get to because that's more important to them than being great artists or being soulful human beings, and so they, there's just the, the the amount of of human waste that gets thrown into that cauldron of uh, desperation for fame and success and fortune. Mm. I mean, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. 
like we're brought up to like i said we're brought up to admire all that we're brought up to be like that's what you strive for (laughs) that's what you try to attain and and just just like you said going back to the agent thing they're parasitic and your talent should speak for you so the talent that you display in one project should be enough to get the attention of somebody uh, a filmmaker of uh, a studio yeah. and go and, let's and, get and and, and re- realistically i mean i have to say there would have to be a middle person because you know there's no way you could handle being the creative and not have somebody taking care of all those calls at the same time uh somebody to negotiate the deal it's a different kind of brain that takes care of the business and there are great agents out there and there are great business people and i know people that have had great relationships with their and for me it's been much harder because i wanted something that was so counterintuitive i didn't want the fame thing so i think um I'm being a little disingenuous and a little unfair to agents because I know there's a lot of really cool people that have pursued that, you know, path that, that, that that it's a necessary path and they're not all parasites and they're not all evil. They're not all evil. There, there are a lot of scumbags out there in, in all fields and all areas of life. But there's also really cool people that have become agents and and that have made people's careers and have never gotten any credit for it. That you would never have heard of so many stars ever in a million years had it not been for the talent and the business acumen and uh, all kinds of other qualities uh, that certain individuals had along the way that were agents you know, that, that just saw something in somebody and also had the business savvy to be able to handle all the horseshit that they had to, to push them through and get them in the door and negotiate a good deal for them. And, you know, that's all the stuff that, you know, in the, in the, in the course of any given day, a person who is, you know, busy trying to be uh, a sensitive artist and, and reflect humanity in a story, whatever the story might be, isn't necessarily going to have time, the skill set to do. So there. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I don't want, yeah, we're not painting everybody out there. Not every car salesman out there is a, (laughs) is a douchebag, but it's, it's, I mean, you maybe it's just the word, maybe it's the word agent, because when I hear agent, I think of, the matrix. I think of, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it's, it's clearly a word that is, uh, that is used for, uh, 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 you know, talking about a, like a villainous thing. I mean, that's such a good word agent. So maybe it's just, <laughs> I know, I know. It's maybe funny. they need to change the word. Maybe they need to change the word. Well, no, maybe they don't. Cause I don't know of late. <laughs> I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I'll tell you another strange thing after I, 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 uh, I, I got killed off uh, of The Walking Dead uh, abruptly um, before I felt like my character should have been. I felt like I was sort of told that they were going to build him up before they tore him down. Um, 
one last time I hung in there for that last season. And, and I think that it was because they were going to finally have to pay me a decent wage that they killed me off abruptly. And that was, that was my other, like, really, really? You're going to sacrifice the, the storytelling because now you're going to save some more money by killing me off sooner. Uh, really? I don't know. I think, I think it could have, could have done better. Um, because I felt like they truncated it by killing him off in the very first episode. That that felt crappy to me. And like I say, they could have given me, if they were going to do that, they could have given me heads up because I was offered other shows and I turned them down because I thought, no, I'm going to be doing Walking Dead this season. Um, that was what the indication was to me. And then, oh, first episode. Okay. Well, that's Okay and goodbye um and 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 what a boring way to go out you got hung <laughs> yeah and you know i knew i was going to get hung i was kind of excited to get hung because i'd never been hung before i've been killed about 50 different ways and that was one of the things that tempted me because i knew in the comic book that he was getting hung so i thought yeah that's that's a different one that's going to go on the reel um but <laughs> But, but let's set it up better. Let's like if the guy doesn't have the balls to fucking kill a zombie um, who's coming at him in slow motion, and he's got to beg this girl who is a zombie killer to kill it for him, then I seriously doubt he would have the balls to pull a knife on her and try and stab her in person I, I i just don't buy that and it, like let's do that in one episode the same episode where he betrayed the very first episode back like what it's like no come on you had no say in that you had no say in those no. motivations no it's just oh. like oh really really and like i remember before going back into the second season that i, I did like uh, you know, from after season seven, which I thoroughly enjoyed with Stephen Ock, playing all that wimpiness against, because I, I, I'm usually the big bad in a lot of the stuff I've done. So to have some guy like intimidating me and like having like, what do you need? What do you want? Okay, I, I, I'll get that for you. That was kind of a new character for me to play. And we had so much fun playing together. And then over the summer, the break and stuff, I, 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 I talked to, Scott, and I said, so uh, any uh, redemption on the landscape and the horizon there in the distance? And, well, now, the thing to understand about Gregory in terms of redemption, so because I think I've, I've, I've played about every shade of uh, unctuous in the rainbow at this point. I'd like to play something else, too. Um, and he said, well, the, the thing about the, the unctuous is that it's, it's really more of a feature than a bug with Gregory. And that was the first time I'd heard that expression. I thought, well, okay. So he's not really a human being. He's just, he's just that. He's just, he's just a device to make you feel, I guess, to to pump up other characters. 
He's not really a character. He's just there as a device to pump up other characters. And it's like, that feels shitty. Because mm. every human being has, has the potential for redemption. And if, yeah. if, if, if you're going to get a good actor to play a part, you you got to have a conversation where, well, yeah, the redemption, well, that would be interesting. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, when I did 24, and the thing that the reason the guy wanted me to play this part was because he remembered the character from 24. The reason he remembered it was because they gave me a redemption. He wouldn't have remembered the character if there wasn't a redemption. That's what made him three-dimensional. But then he threw it away and just made him a 2D character. and yeah. Make him a douchebag. That's all he is. Make somebody else look better for hanging him or does it i don't know seems like you make everything more two-dimensional when you refuse someone's three-dimensionality but that's just me now when you were doing this sorry like just 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 one last thing when you were doing this were you like talking to your fellow cast members and like were you telling them everything that you were feeling or were you kind of keeping that to yourself no, Stephen Og and I were like roommates. We were like uh, flatmates at that point. Um, so he and I were feeling very similar. Like right off the bat in season eight, when they made him push me off the iron staircase, like in like the second, first or second episode, we're like, "What? This is why we became roommates." <laughs> you know, we 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 got this apartment together because we were so excited about like getting to do stuff together and we could rehearse and work on it together in the same space and make the show better because of okay so so now we're not going to have scenes together anymore because you just made us that you just killed you just flattened the souffle that we'd been baking over all of season seven and you just killed it because why why did he just push him backwards over the staircase? Uh, it, it was just like, for both of us, it was like, oh, okay. And then they didn't give us really anything interesting to do all season. And we felt wasted and and uh, exploited. And they didn't, you know, yeah, it just felt like, because they're not paying you anything, then they don't have to worry about taking advantage of having talent like you on hand. And so they can just keep you around and not let you know that you're not needed so that you don't have to go back and see your family. It's just like, it's just, it's, it's a kind of, it creates an atmosphere of disrespect. If you don't pay people, you don't respect them for what they do. And so then you can just keep them around and, you don't have to write good stuff for them. You don't have to, um, yeah. Anyway, so so that's 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 my feeling about it. And, and I learned my lesson, and uh, I put this out there because I, I kind of want other actors to hear it. And I, I want, I even want studio executives and uh, other people like that to hear it. And have it not be this shrouded in secrecy. Like, yeah, no, shouldn't be a secret. You guys should be outed for this behavior. And actors should hear so that they're fully warned. And fans should know 
because it's it's crap then it makes shows less good exactly and 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 steven uh steven Ock, he he kind of met the same exact fate he didn't last that very long on the show either no no so but you know he's awesome and he'll do great things and uh so will i and and uh we'll always have the friendships that we made on set with everybody else so there you go and that's priceless so look xander this was brutally honest this is this was captivating this was if anything i know because i was enjoying talking to you i know everybody's going to enjoy listening to this so um please stay in contact <laughs> with me seriously please stay in contact yeah. with me and let if me know you're if ever... this goes over i've never talked so long to anybody awesome well i'm honored <laughs> seriously and if you're ever because i mean i i don't imagine myself like i don't ever see myself uh uh being in maine anytime soon but if because you're the guy that does the conventions that you choose. If you're ever in Florida, uh, please get in contact with me. I'd love to, to, to shake your hand and, 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 and finally be able to talk with you one-on-one in person. Yeah, they got, they got conventions in Orlando, don't they? I think I, I, think I went to one there once. So, uh, they did. And uh, uh, funny enough, it was Walker Stalker, but I wasn't able to go that year. All right. Well, I'll, I'll track you down at some point, man. Nice to meet you, Eddie. All right, Xander. Have a great night. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.